0: From a song that sounds a lot like a wedding vow into a text dealing with the same thing. Let's go to Ephesians 5. Let me, uh, without recapping too much of last week. Um, I know a lot of you were here, but a lot of you were not. Um, started a three-week deal. It's going to be on uh, marriage to sort of coincide with the community group idea. I'm in the, the Holy Matrimony Community Group this summer. Um, and uh, I think that... Uh, it's really important for us to, to keep two things in mind um, when it comes to a, a sermon series like this in a church like ours that is very much um, relationally driven, whether that's relationship with God, relationship with uh, each other, um, in a church our size, uh, with our unique demographic, um, and all that stuff. I think there's two things that are really important. One um, is that we we have to keep a balance between uh, the things that are for us individually and the things that are for us corporately. If you and I don't recognize the fact that we are part of a family of faith that's going somewhere together, um, it's, it's easy for us to come in into you know, at, at our time together on Sunday night, and there are some weeks where... God just uses something to, like, like drill deep into your heart, <laughs> deep into your mind. You're just profoundly affected by something. Um, uh, the songs, a prayer, uh, a hug from someone, a conversation with someone, the sermon, whatever, the The Bible. Um, maybe even something completely just random and whatever. Uh, and then there are other weeks where you come in and it's just not like that. You know, you don't really walk away feeling that same connection to whatever went on and the thing is sometimes sometimes there are uh, there's are things going on in the room that that don't have to do with you as an individual and so it'd be real easy to walk out and be like well that sermon did nothing for me I'm not here of course yeah it's easy to do that and I've been there many times and I've uh, I've been there many times Um, however there's there's an individual factor, and there's a corporate factor, so sometimes um, things that go on particularly in the worship service like segment of time, the songs and the and the the sermon sometimes it's not going to be something that God's going to use to just drive deep into your heart, but may, it might be the person sitting next to you or somebody you're in community group with or a friend of yours that is profoundly affected, and so there's an if we, if we go in and we have these blinders on and it's just like, well, that sermon did nothing for me, then it's easy to walk away and you're just kind of like, well, what's the point? And that was lame and I was wasting my time or whatever. But if we, if we are thinking both, God, what do you have for me and what do you have for us? There's always something, something that's going on. So you might be here and you're like, great, three weeks on marriage, I'm not married. So it has nothing to do with me. Well, maybe it does have something to do with you. And even if it doesn't have something to do with you at this moment in time in your life, you are surrounded in a community, uh, by a community of people who are, um, a lot of them just getting off the ground in this whole marriage thing. they're trying to figure some stuff out. And you as a part of their community, uh, a part of what we're called to is to carry each other's burdens and to speak truth to each other and to encourage and to pray for and, and all that. And so. If, if we sit here tonight and we, it's just about what we're gonna get out of something, then we might miss a whole other dynamic of what God wants to do. So we need to have both of those things. Now, I'm not saying that if you're single, the next three weeks are a wash for you and it's only going communal because I think single people, there's, there's stuff in here for us too. So that's, that's one thing is for us to really be open to not only what God's doing in our hearts as individuals, but corporately, the fact that he's got us going somewhere. Uh, another thing is there's really nothing Well, I shouldn't say it that way. Um, A sermon series on marriage will very quickly reveal where you are finding your identity and how much or, or, or what your abiding life looks like. If you find your identity in Jesus and what he has done in your life and in the world and the fact that all of your worth and your value and your purpose in life and everything about you comes from Him. Um, it's not about your marital status or financial status or employment status or all this. It's not about all that stuff. It's simply He looks at you and says, "You are Mine." Um, if if that's where where you are, then a sermon on a sermon series on marriage or whatever will will reveal that in very specific ways. If you're and if you are abiding and you're in prayer, you're in the word, you're connected to Christ, his, his life flowing into your life and there's fruit, that's going to be revealed. And it, There's something about the subject of marriage that's going to expose where you find your identity and how much you're abiding, and what that abiding life looks like. Um, if, if you are on the negative side of that, if your identity is wrapped up in what title you have, your relationship status on Facebook, how many friends you have on Facebook, everything about Facebook, um, uh, how much money you make and all this kind of stuff and what circles you run in. And if you, are, if you get to hang out with these people at this time and you, you know, all, all these kinds of things, if you're wrapped up in all that stupid stuff, basically not Jesus, and you're not abiding and you're not praying and all that stuff, a sermon series on marriage will expose that for what it is. And, and here's, here's what I mean. And this, I promise you all, has a point. Uh, a married man... To to listen to a sermon on marriage, to sign up for a community group with th- of three weeks about marriage, um, a man who is who has a secure identity in Jesus and is abiding, will hear those things and will be um, challenged in a very good way. He will be encouraged and motivated and maybe convicted and and refined by all that. And his draw, he'll be drawn deeper into the heart of God, and he will want desperately to be the most accurate picture of Christ that his wife ever sees. That's, that's a, a man who's secure in his identity, is not intimidated by Ephesians 5 in a sense that that's impossible and I can never do that. He's intimidated by the fact that it says be like Jesus, but he's encouraged because he knows that the Spirit of God literally lives inside of him to empower that process, that everything is absolutely possible, that Ephesians 5 is an attainable text for every man who is in Christ absolutely across the board. An insecure man who is finding his identity and not Jesus and not abiding, will look at that passage of scripture and all the things we're gonna talk about and he will will push away from the table and say, I can never do that, that's completely lame, that's not what it's really saying, that's not what it's really about, I don't wanna do that, I don't wanna grow up, I don't wanna be a man, I just wanna like be a little boy and continue in my self-centered ways, okay? Now I'm not saying we have any of those guys here, I'm just saying, that will be exposed. so, guys, note, note your resistance or, or the resistance or the draw that you have to these truths. If you're pushing away, then that is revealing the fact that, that you have some identity issues, you have some abiding issues, and you and Jesus need to have, like, pizza one night. Maybe literally, and that would be cool. I think he'd be fine with that. He made pizza. So, um... If you' if you're resistant you need to handle up if you are drawn into it let just be encouraged by that encouraged by the fact that you are ready to take the bull by the horns and become more and more and more like Jesus in in your marriage and in your family and whatever a a married woman who is whose identity and abiding is where it needs to be will read these passages of scripture and will say and like let's take ephesians five and let's we're going to pick on husbands tonight wives next week you get beat up so um, tonight it's the guys, that we'll, we'll take that example and they will look at Daniel and say, I, I love my husband so much and I want to help him and encourage him and build him up. And, and I, I look at the fact that he's called to be Jesus and, and I get to be the church, but he has to be Jesus and I want to help him in every possible way. I don't want to ever hinder him. I want to bring him good and not harm all the days of his life. A woman whose identity is not where it needs to be and is not abiding will look at that and will say, that's right. If he would just be Jesus, then our marriage would be perfect because I represent the church really, really well. In which case, I would say, if that's your attitude, then yeah, you do represent a lot of the church really, really well. Um, (laughs) And so, there'll be that resistance and that blaming and that whatever, and you'll say, that's right, because I'm the princess, I'm the bride, he's supposed to make my life this fairy tale, whatever, which is not true. We'll get to you next week. But just in case you're not here next week, that's all false. Uh listen to the podcast. So um now, now I know some sometimes in you know people date, uh, and uh if a dating couple who is who is abiding and where they need to be, they will hear a passage like a sermon series on marriage, and and when their identity is where it needs to be, they will be like, oh man. <laughs> uh we better know where this thing is headed. Otherwise, we need to get out. And I say that in all love. I say that as a, a longtime person in ministry who's who's watched many, many relationships linger on longer than they should. Uh, a dating you date to get married, and so there needs to be a little bit of okay, God, like what what are you doing here? Now He may not have told you the answer yet, so don't go break up tonight. But if He's been telling you like, hey, this is not going toward marriage, then then someone who is secure in their identity and is abiding, both the guy and the girl, you're not afraid of that conversation. But when you're riddled with insecurity and your whole, relationship is, is, your whole identity is wrapped up in the fact that you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and all this like, goofy stuff, when all that's going on, then you're terrified of the fact that maybe your relationship may not end up walking down the aisle. And so you don't even wanna talk about this stuff. Or sometimes it, you end up pushing one another a little bit too much down the aisle when the other one's maybe not ready for it. And, and so if, we, if you're dating, see, you're unique because you have, you have like a context. You have like another person to be able to think like, could I marry this person? Could I be Jesus for this person? Could I, could I live out the things that these married couples have already said they're going to live out? And so when you have that, that context, it's going to reveal really quickly if you've been prayerful and you've been where you need to be, if you are finding your identity in Jesus or not. Now, if you're single— um, like like I am again. It again reveals kind of the, this some of the same kind of things. If you're securing your identity and you're abiding, you are not put off by a three-week sermon series on marriage because you know that God has a plan for your life. And for right now, this this day, this is where He has you. And and let's be honest, for most most people. Get married. So this could be preparation for you. It could be equipping you to help serve and love those around you. Um, when, you are, when your identity is secure, this does not bring up all kind of discontent, discontentment issues and all this stuff and why am, I, why am I single and this and this and my parents are right and this and you know, all this kind of whatever. But if, if your identity is not in Jesus, a sermon series on marriage will rip all this ugly stuff up. And next thing you know, you are... You're hating life, and you're mad at God, and you're believing all these lies about yourself that aren't true. See, marriage is, is good, so it's perfectly fine for single people to desire to be married. It's a part of how God made the world. Now, I don't believe that everybody's, everybody gets married, and that's, I think, also a part of it. Now, I'll, let's admit it, most people do, but not everyone. And so I think we have to, like as single people, we have to have this this openness to the fact that God has a plan for us. And a part of how he puts the world together is marriage. So it's not wrong for you to be like, I would really just like to be a husband. And I would like, like I want God to prepare me for that. If you're single and you're kind of in that place, don't feel like you're not trusting God or you can be content and also say, but I want to be more. I want to grow. I want to mature. As, as I grow up, I would like for that to be a part of my life. It's fine to want that. At the same time, maybe that's not what God has for you. And so I, all those examples, maybe that took a long time to set up, but what I want to do is, is make sure that all of us understand that as we, as we get into some of this stuff, it, it has a way of like putting a mirror up in front of us. And as you're drawn, you find yourself just naturally either drawn closer or put a, put away, it either brings peace and, like, the good kind of it stirs you up and it gets you ready, or it just brings chaos. That's reflective of something deeper. And if it brings chaos into your life, there's only, there's only one in the universe who can make peace out of chaos. There's only one. And he can take that heart that gets all stirred up and... Just whatever and he can just he can just calm those waters and that's that's who you need to deal with so don't come up to me and be like I'm, I'm full of chaos <laughs> I'll be like go talk to Jesus It'll be okay now we looked at Ephesians 5 last week let me just and here's what I want you to do tonight I want you to leave this open in your Bible or on your uh, Bible app or whatever um, we're going to let the screen jump around. I joked with Nathan earlier that we basically just are going to put the whole New Testament up there tonight. So uh, it would just be a lot of flipping. Look at, look at Ephesians 5. Look at 20, we're going to do 25 through 30. All right, talking about husbands tonight. Husbands, goodness, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. All right, so husband and wife are a copy of the original relationship of Jesus and the church and so when it says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church we could spend a long time going through the Bible and looking at all the different ways that Jesus loves us and then transferring that to marriage but I just want to just pull out a few Um, so it's not exhaustive by any means but I think I I think that some of the some of the ones that fit in well uh, I believe I kind of let us to. so there are six of them. If you like to take notes, you can make uh, six bullet points. They do not rhyme, they do not all start with the same letter. So how Jesus loves his bride, what that looks like for marriage. Um, the first one, uh, Jesus is he, he's like a, the best initiator ever. He takes initiative. Um, Ephesians 2, we talked about this at the beginning. Let's read these verses real quick. Um, You don't have to turn to it. We're going to put it on the screen. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, pretty bad situation. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that text, you look at it, we, the bride, was not alive, dead in trespasses and sin, and not even aware of it. Matt Chandler talks about, you know, he said, he said that the church wasn't like, hey, Messiah, will you come redeem us from our sins and come over here and do this for us? And he was like, oh yeah, I guess I should go and do that. Like we, we weren't even aware of the real issue. I mean, even the disciples who walked with Jesus still thought he was gonna be a military commander. They thought it was a, a, a nationalistic deliverance instead of a deliverance from sin. And so, the first way to bring out that that Jesus loves the church is that he he initiates. He takes charge in the relationship. He sees the need, which is his bride is dead in her sins, and he steps up to the plate and does what he can to meet that need for the glory of God and for the benefit of his bride. That's the, in, the, in the, the text that we were looking at, nourishes and cherishes, takes care of his bride. No spots, no wrinkles, no whatever. He, he looks at us and sees all this need, and we're clueless about it. And he says, I'll do something about it. God will be glorified, the bride will be pure, we can be together in our Relationship like we first created everything for till sin messed it up, and so with Jesus in the church, if, if a husband wants to know how how do I love my wife as a church, then you are the initiator of everything. There's always that question: what what is you know what does it mean to be the spiritual leader of a home? Well, it means to be the leader, and the leader is the ones like, hey, uh, this needs to be done. So. Um, Let's, let's talk about how we can do this. The leader is, is the one who is both uh, uh, a thermometer and a thermostat. The leader is the one who, who's able to tell the temperature in the room, which is right now about 97 maybe. Uh, you're able to see, okay, here's, here's the need. This is where things are. This is the reality. And then you become the thermostat. You turn it down to about... Sixty-six would be nice right now. And you begin to make some changes. So husbands, you look at, look at your relationship with your wife. You look at your family. You look at whatever. And you, you function as a thermometer to, to see where things are, where are the needs, where are the problems, where are the good things, whatever. And then you become the thermostat. And you take the initiative and you set the temperature. So if your family... When I say family, it may be just the two of you, you may have kids or whatever. When your family doesn't get into the word together, you need to look at the temperature and then you need to set a lower temperature. You need to be the one to determine what happens. And unfortunately, there's just a lot of times where it's the other way around. Where you have wives taking the initiative. And that's kind of the, I I say this seems like every Mother's Day and Father's Day, how like, uh, most of my life, growing up in church, Mother's Day was like moms are the best thing God's ever given us, and uh, you know Father's Day was like, all right, guys, come on, step it up. But that's what—that's the model that so many people grew up watching. That's why so many churches are run by women, and men are either drugged to church or they just kind of just don't go, or they just kind of just sit there and don't really you know participate or whatever, and all that. You see, biblically, men should initiate everything because Jesus initiated everything to us. So if you want to know what the earthly relationship should look like, you just look at the original. So that's why we always pick on the men about praying with their wives. It's not the wife's job to be like, come on, baby, let's have prayer time, right? We need to have some prayer time. We know we never pray together. We should probably pray together a little bit more. Josh said we're supposed to pray together. So when you want to pray, what you want to do? You want to look at the Bible? You want to go through a book? You want to do a devotional together? You want to... You look at C.S. Lewis quotes me. What do you want to do, what do you want to do? That's not your job. It's the husband's job to be the thermostat. Now, talk together about how that should work, okay? This is not a domineering, like, no, we will read C.S. Lewis quotes and nothing else. She's like, I don't know who that is. You certainly talk about it, but the initiator should be the man. So, husband, if you want to love your wife like Jesus loved the church, then act like a man and initiate things. You take the first step toward the changes that you see that you know need to happen. And wives, you let your man be the man. I'm just going to leave it at that. We'll pick on you next week. The next thing, really quickly, I'm going to to move so fast. Um, Second thing is that Jesus reveals God to us john chapter one this is what it says is 14 through 17 if you want to write it down okay where it says word with the capital w that's talking about jesus and the the word became flesh and dwelt among us we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth john bore witness about him and cried out this was he of whom i said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace but the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ he he reveals who god is to us so you know if you ever want to know i mean wonder what god is like well you open up your bible and you go to anything written in red and that's like the first place that you start because he comes and he reveals the father and he's full of grace and full of truth so people in the Old Testament, they had, they had seen, seen all these, these things that God had done, and heard all these things and whatever, but here's God in the flesh to show up. So, okay, is God compassionate? Well, Jesus was compassionate, so yes, God is compassionate. Can God be firm with us? Yes, Jesus was firm with his disciples and with you know, everybody. So yes, God can be firm with us. Everything you want to know about God is revealed through Jesus. And that's the way that he cares for the church. He comes and he says, this is the God who who has come to redeem you. This is who wants a relationship with you. This, This is who you were created to be with, to fellowship with, to glorify, to worship, to have this like a real relationship with. This is him. And so husbands, if you want to love your wife like Jesus loved the church, you take the role of revealing the character of God to your wife and to your kids, you take that seriously. I like how it says he was full of grace and truth. Be, be that kind of husband, full of grace and full of truth. So you, you literally ask yourself, in, in every situation that you face, how can I, Reveal the character of God to my wife to my family to the world how can I do that in this situation and I think I would imagine I mean that's something that, that we're all called to so this is not unique to just husbands because we're all called to be informed to the image of Christ and we're, we're made more and more like him and all this stuff and, and I find that that's, there are times when that's easier than it is for others so, in a married situation if 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 the wife let's say like she she makes a financial move without consulting the husband and then covers it up and then lies about it and then lies about the other lies and it 's this whole big mess of whatever and there finally comes this breaking point and and you have that conversation and and the wife confesses to the husband about the money and about the lies and about the whatever and the guilt and all this kind of stuff. In that moment, husbands, you're called to love your wife like Jesus loved the church. And so you really have to think, how does Jesus handle the church in these kind of situations? How can I handle this and be full of grace and full of truth? And I love that those two things are together. Because you can gracefully tell her the truth. And husbands, that's what you're called to. And your kids need to see that as well. That your kid does something stupid like all kids do at different points. And what you want to do is lash out at them and reduce them to nothing and just... Whatever, and take out all your frustration about your job and about all these other things on your kids and whatever. And how do you reveal the character of God to them when your kids have screwed up? Full of grace, full of truth. If you really want to live out Ephesians 5:25 to 30 as a husband, you got to figure that out. And you won't do that if you're not abiding, you're not praying, and you're not in the Word, and you are not finding your identity in him. So the first one, he's, he initiates. The second one, he reveals God. The third one, there's a submission. There's a, Jesus submits to the will of the, of the Father. In Matthew 26, he's in Gethsemane. He says the same thing pretty much twice. In uh, verse 39, he says this. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying my father if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as I will but as you will and then in 42 same thing again for the second time he went away and prayed my father this cannot pass unless I drink it your will be done see he that's a way that Jesus cared for the church because he faced these situations and he had to look to the father and say, look, it's not about what's easiest for me, what's convenient right now, what's comfortable for me. Um, and this is one of those great vulnerable moments where he's like, I would like to do this another way, but it's not about what I want, it's what you want. And so we have to interpret that as a way that he loves his bride. And So he goes and he gets alone and he prays to the father seek the Father's will in this situation. See, husbands, you want to love your wife? Acknowledge the fact that you're not the boss of the whole wide world. Live a life that is submitted to the, to the will of, of God for your life and your life of your family. If you live that and you model it, and it just becomes an instinctive way of doing something so, so that your wife sees the fact that you don't jump into crazy decisions really quickly, that you don't make these moves without being prayerful and be like, okay, what, I'm not sure what God wants us to do. What do, you, what do you think as we're praying about it? I mean, what are you sensing and all this stuff? See, Jesus loved the bride enough to say, whatever, God, whatever you want. Husbands, you have to love your wife enough to be willing to do the same thing. It's interesting when you get into submission and headship and stuff, and and wives will talk about how you know difficult to submit when you when you know your husband has not prayed about something. And I I mean I'm not a wife, but I can I would imagine that would be a difficult thing. So my response to that as a male is well. I would never want to put my wife in that situation. I want to live a life that is constantly submitted to the will and the plan and the favor and the grace of God so much that she never doubts when I'm like, I think this is what we need to do. So again, you can resist that and say, well, I'm the head of the household and you, do what I, you have to do what I say, blah, blah, blah. I can point you to a verse. Or you can walk in such integrity where your wife's like that dude wants to know God's will for everything that we do and he completely trusts him and he spends time with him and I see that and have no issue at all coming alongside him and joining him in what we're doing. See, Jesus love the bride that way? God, you gotta love your wives that way. Don't come in and drop that hammer and say, I'm, like, I'm gonna throw the headship card now and say you have to do what I want. Don't, don't throw that card like that. You live a life to where you don't even have to own that card. It just doesn't even play into things ever. Because she sees your life and she sees what you're about. Just like the disciples saw Jesus' life and they told him, hey, will you teach us to pray? Next one, he prays. <laughs> that was not intentional. Uh, I mean, this the point was, but the transition wasn't. He intercedes for us. Hebrews 7 says this, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, Jesus prayed for us. I you mean, read the end of the book of John, and you see this just phenomenal, this just, just amazing heart of God for his church. Jesus prayed for us then, but right now, he's interceding for his bride, for all of us, right now. So, guys, that's what, we're not trying to, to beat up on the husbands and say, you need to pray with your wives and you need to pray with your wives just because uh, you know, read it in a book or because it makes sense or because it's like you know, it's, you know, step three of like seven steps to peace in the home or anything like that. That's what Jesus does for his bride. And as a copy of the original, guys, you, you've got to fight. You have to fight for every aspect of of your wife's life. And you do that in prayer. You fight for her sanctification and for her growth, for her own holiness and for her relationship with God, and, and praying for her and creating space for her to be able to have her time with the Lord and for her to grow and all that kind of stuff. That, you must, must, must abide. So that's why we always come back to it, because that's what Jesus is doing for us. I mean, it's the most like obvious, practical thing ever. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself for her. As Christ loved the church, he's praying for her constantly. That's what you're called to. That's what you signed up for. If you're dating, that's what you are contemplating maybe being a factor. If you're single and you're going to be married one day, that's going to be a part of it. Don't make the vows if you're not willing to get in there and do the work. And I say that as if praying is like this big task, you know, it's not cutting the yard, you know. You're praying, it's a relationship with God, it's the most awesome thing ever. And I hear these couples that are like, oh, it's just so awkward. I don't care. <laughs> I don't think Jesus cares. You think it was awkward for Jesus to like to have the Last Supper and to pass like Judas, the wine and the bread, It probably a little awkward. I think it was, You think, I mean, you don't think Jesus had some awkward moments going to his hometown and people were talking bad about him and stuff and he had just like rolled out? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's awkward. Husbands, initiate prayer in your home. Number five, there's a selflessness that's exhibited. Philippians 2, I uh, just, I mean, we come back to this all the time. Has this mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death, on a cross. He just so selfless in, in dealing with the, with the church. And there's this, this humility and takes the form of a servant and there's all this stuff. Um, husbands. Or really, it's is all of us. Jesus left heaven to come here for the glory of God and for the benefit of the bride. So it makes no sense to me why there are husbands who won't get off the couch to serve their wives. I'm not saying I'm not beating up our husbands, my husbands in general, in a very like broad sense. I don't understand that. And that's why, I mean, there's so many reasons why if you're in Christ you're walking in, in a different, different covenant, but a different picture of what it's supposed to look like. So for a Christian husband, you say, okay, Jesus loved the church. Jesus left heaven to serve his bride for the glory of God so I can get off, off the couch and help my wife clean the house. I can get up and I can, I can watch the kids so she can go and kind of have some alone time or whatever. I can get up early to spend... Time with the Lord, which betters my time with my wife. There's a selflessness that we see in Jesus' life and how he loves the church. He left heaven. It's a lot to measure up to. The last one. He was sinless. <laughs> awesome. Hebrews, Hebrews 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. Um, this, uh, okay, Jesus loves the church. If, if Jesus had not been sinless, there would be no church. He was the holy, perfect, sinless sacrifice that allowed us to cross over from death into life like we've talked about in Ephesians 2. Luke chapter 4, he's fasting and praying in, in the desert, and the devil himself shows up and begins to tempt him. And the temptation is basically, hey, let's just take a shortcut to get to all this stuff that's ultimately going to be yours anyway. And Satan's like, you want authority, you want kingdoms, you want power, you want all this stuff? I'll give them to you, you just... You just worship me, or you just do this, or you just do this. It's like, hey, here's a shortcut. You don't have to do all that. You just do this, and everything will be fine. And Jesus said no. Jesus lived for 33 years as a dude on the earth in flesh and bones just like us. Not the same exact issues out there, but at the core, same spirits same sin same issues out there and he said no over and over and over again And he got on that cross perfect for the glory of God for the benefit of his bride now husbands I love y'all dating guys Love y'all. Single guys. Love y'all. None of us. None of us. Can continue to walk in the darkness of sin. We can't. Yet so many do. There's so many, there's secret sins and covering things up and justifying things and whatever. And a lot of times you'll hear, you'll hear married guys talk to engaged engage people or people who are dating or single people or whatever, and they're like, look, don't drag that trash into your marriage. If you're not married, listen to that advice. Walk, walk in holiness like Jesus did, because that is a way that he loved us. Don't drag an addiction to pornography into your marriage. Don't drag pride. Don't drag financial irresponsibility. Don't don't drag being self-centered in your time and not willing to be a servant. Don't, Don't drag all that stupid stuff into your marriage. Walk in holiness now that's what you hear married guys say. That would be the, that will be a part of their advice. Take care of your business now. Married guys, sometimes, I think, are like, "Well, I'm already married so." It says that Jesus cares for the bride, nourishes and cherishes it like his own flesh, because we're members of his own body. So the, Jesus and the church, are, they're, they're so close to each other, like, you're just liking it to one body. Jesus is the head, with the rest of the body. And so, if you're married, and you're walking in sin, you're living in sin, you're public about it, private about it, hiding it from your wife, telling her, you better not bring this up again, blah, 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 whatever. You have a chokehold on your marriage, and you're not loving your wife like Jesus loved the church because Jesus lived a holy and sinless life. And you might think, well that's impossible because this and this and this and this. And I just, I said, God would not say be holy as I am holy if, if holy living were not a possibility for us. Because you don't have to have those addictions, you don't have to have all that pride, you don't have to have all that junk. But you're kidding yourself if you think that those sin issues are not affecting your bride, Just the way if Jesus had sinned one time, we would not be here. There's a direct effect. I mean, it is absolutely one affects the other. So husbands, quit pretending like those sin issues don't exist. And be a man and initiate the change that you know needs to happen. You've been looking at that thermometer sitting there for years and years and years. Well, it's time to man up and adjust the thermostat to where it needs to be. If you want to love your wife like Jesus loved the church, then initiate something. Reveal the character of God to her in grace and truth. And submit to God's will, and, and, you, and you pray, and you live selflessly, and you strive for holiness, and you push all that stuff together. And what that ought to do is every husband in here will be like, why in the world would I, would I go a second of my life where I'm not abiding? I'm not aware of God's presence and my need for him. Why in the world would I avoid the scriptures and avoid prayer and all this kind of stuff? And I'm not saying everybody does that because I believe there are some husbands here who are knocking it out of the park when it comes to some of these things. And I hope uh, hope that the wives who are here see all this and hear all this and you're like, I got some affirming to do. I have some encouraging to do. I have some nagging to not do. Huge, huge, huge. But you've been given everything you need for life and godliness through your knowledge of him who's called called you by his own glory and goodness. Everything you need. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sanctifying her, washing her. No spots, no wrinkles, no blemishes. Any, anything like that. Nourishes and cherishes it, her and their relationship like, like, his, like his own body. Because in reality, that's how it is. Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray. God, I, I pray that um, that the husbands here tonight are um, are encouraged and challenged and push forward. God, that you would be gracious and truthful with us tonight. That you would correct and guide and bring about whatever change in us that needs to happen. God, I pray that the enemy would not come in and, and lie anymore. God, just say we as a community would would rally around the husbands and what they've been called to. God, that you'd use these things to to build marriages, that none of this stuff would start fights at all. But you would just begin to give all of us a, a more accurate picture of what marriage is intended to be and to look like for us to realize that that's 100% attainable because you live in us so it's not something we have to get in and figure out how to do all this stuff and try in our own strength but it is it is going to require effort and dependence on you God where there are sin issues tonight, I, I just pray that, that you would ignite something, not just in the husbands, God, in every one of us, because the call to holiness is across the board. And our sin issues directly affect our community, they directly affect how we relate to you. So God, may we, we respond and just lay aside for a minute if we're a husband or a wife or a single or whatever. You would help us to look at the life of Christ and say, I want to walk in holiness in the same way. I want to walk in that purity. I don't want to drag that trash any further in my life than I already have. Maybe we've all been looking at that thermometer at the same thing for so long and just been staring at it and saying, I don't know why this is still in my life. I pray, God, that you would help us to cast those things on you, yes, but at the same time, understand that we work in tandem with you, you infuse our efforts. God, push us to, to confess things and to have those difficult conversations Involve others in our struggles so that we can be encouraged and there can be accountability. God, help us to recognize that our our sins are against you. That's exactly why Jesus took the initiative, came here and lived a sinless life and died. Those sins, all those sins could be forgiven. We could walk with you again. We love you, Father. Thank you for the ways that you love us. Thank you, Jesus, that there, and we, could do, we could talk for weeks and weeks and weeks about all the ways that you love us as your church.